I wonder, my friends, where have you seen the Lord at work in your life? And have you considered that God could use that story to ignite faith in someone else? If you were to share that God's grace could come forward to help awaken someone to faith in Christ or sustaining faith that will help encourage and help them to grow in holiness. Have you considered that? That's what we've been talking about together over these last few weeks in our sermon series called Signs of Life. We're looking at the Gospel of John, at the signs and the teachings of Jesus Christ, and we're really looking at them through the framework, one of the frameworks that the Gospel of John really brings to us. There's a beautiful way that John, the writer of the Gospel, describes how he's organized his uh, theological biography, if you will, of of Jesus' life. In chapter 20, John says, Jesus did many other signs, but these ones were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. God does something. We bear witness. We tell someone And God uses that interaction to ignite faith in someone else. So that's what we've been talking about over these past few weeks. Uh, We've been telling stories about how God's been at work in real-life ways through people in our church. Today we'll hear another wonderful story about God's work in big, dramatic ways and in small, ordinary ways so that we can get a sense of what that looks like and sounds like. Today, I just wanted you to have a practical resource. We'll put together a little four-page dealio here called a field guide, how to share your story, uh, just to give you some practical things to think about. What is my story? How has God been at work in my life? How can I identify that? What are some practical things I can think of and ways that I could share in a variety of different methods to help people? So I hope if you didn't grab one on the way in or if there wasn't one in your bulletin, they're out there in the back. Well, today we're talking about the experience of God's love, the experience of God's love. And I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, in your scriptures. We're going to be reading the first 12 verses. I invite you to hear now the word of the Lord and hear Jesus' teaching. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. I have said these things to you, so that my joy may be in you, 
and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit, give us a word that we might live. Amen. Jesus loves you. Have you ever heard that? I hope you've heard that. If you haven't heard that, I need to tell you right now, Jesus loves you. We even sing songs about it, ones with catchy tunes. You might have heard one. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. So the kids do it in key, though. It's pretty great. You heard that song? I hope you have, because it's true. Jesus loves you. It's absolutely true. I hope that you have mental knowledge of that. I hope that the more you hear it, the more it drills itself into your brain. And if you have to use the song like a little earworm to remember it, I hope that happens, that somewhere in the synapses of your various neurons and such that you remember the fact that Jesus loves you. Jesus, the Son of God, who stepped down from glory... He humbled himself to become not just fully divine, but fully human to walk among us, to out of love for the world willingly sacrifice his life, going to the cross and through his death and resurrection that we might be saved from sin, to become members of God's family, and to have full and eternal life. And all of these are historically verifiable acts. I hope that you know that Jesus loves you because they're true facts. In these ways that Jesus has loved you, you can go throughout history and find record and sociology and archaeology to verify the existence of Jesus. And this witness has stood the test of time, adding weight to the truth of these claims. I hope that you know that Jesus loves you. That this love, this love of God in Jesus Christ has transformed people throughout history. It'd be one thing if a couple people were transformed by an idea, but it seems to be a little bit more true when throughout the generations and the millennia that the love of Jesus Christ is transforming people's lives. Societies have been changed, redeemed, turned around. The world has been forever marked by the love of God. Now, all kinds of philosophical and sociological and linguistic and logical arguments have sought to refute these facts and this truth. The existence of God, the truth of Jesus Christ, the cross, the theological claims of the scriptures, but every one of those arguments falls short and finds itself kneeling before the throne of God, and the facts of God's love in Jesus Christ stand unmarred. I hope that you know the truth and the fact that Jesus loves you. Now, you could very well spend many, many, many hours looking through things like Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologiae to look at the five proofs of God's existence and Immanuel Kant's uh, work and, and Pascal's wager. You could go all the way back through and look at philosophies and uh, ideologies and theologies and logic, and, I, and you can really train yourself to understand as intellectually as possible with every woven fact that the human mind can bring, you can learn that Jesus loves you. 
But there is a yearning in every human heart to know the full truth of God's love. You know, we make a promise, the Christian faith makes a promise, and we make a promise that God is true and God loves you and God can do something in someone's life. Why is it that week after week and day after day, when anybody is at the point in their life when they feel like something's got to be different or they're at the very bottom or they'd like to make a change, why is it that they come to the church or into a conversation with a Christian believer? It's because there's a promise and a yearning that God can do something for you. And we have the honor as the church to help God keep that promise, that God to prove that promise true through us. Week after week, hurting people walk into churches and walk into conversations with people like you and me because they hope that it is true that Jesus loves them. And when the rubber meets the road, people might be intellectually convinced that God loves them in Jesus Christ. They might be intellectually convinced that God loves them in Jesus Christ, but that at the moment that they need to know this, it's not ideas and facts that they yearn for. Oh, ideas and facts about God are beautiful theology, and thinking about the Lord is all a way of loving the Lord our God with the mind that He gave us, and the love of God is undergirded with all of the, the beauty of the full faculty of human existence. But it's not just the mind, it's the heart. You might have all of the external evidence in the world that Jesus Christ has come in love and has given himself in love and that God loves you more than even a song. You've investigated the Bible. You wanted to know how the Bible told you so that Jesus loves you. And you could have all of that knowledge in the world and believe it. But it is the evidence of the heart that outweighs all the rest. People need to know not just that God loves them, but what that looks like and feels like. To know that God's love is present and active and transformative today, that it is more than a concept of God's love, that it is more than a slogan for a certain way of life or a slogan for a particular position on issues, but that the, the, the love of God is real and tangible and can be known in the mind, in the heart, in the body, in the relationship, and we can experience it. In John 15, Jesus describes God's love in, in these beautiful ways. He describes God's love as something we can experience in its fullness in this life. He uses an image, I love the John 15, the image of the vine and the branches. The Father is the vine dresser, He's the farmer. Jesus is the vine and His people are the branches. And, and that's not just a it's a metaphor, but a vine and a branch is not just a concept. The real vine nourishes a real branch. There's an organic connection between them that the vine transfers the nutrients and through the sap and the, the cellular walls and all of these connections, these deep connections between one part of the vine and the other to bear fruit that God the Father loves. The vine nourishes the branch, and the branch shows that love to the world by bearing fruit. Our connection with God is as organic as that. 
with love and life and nourishment flowing through him into us and giving us life. It's a living, ongoing connection, a vital, intricately woven relationship in which life and love flow into us through him and to the world. It's not just a concept. It's describing it as an organic reality. Now, Jesus... John records Jesus using a recurring concept in his teaching here with the word abide. If you get bored during the sermon, uh, some of you are already there. Praise God. I love you. Uh, I'm going to give you a tip. I don't mind. I got three children, two of which are teenagers. I know how boring I am. Here's a tip for you to stay awake. How many times does the word abide show up in John 15? Here's a good Bible study for you. Find the term abide and do a study over the gospel of John And if you want to, you can go and use your Strong's uh, Concordance and look up the Greek word meno, which is the word abide, and see how beautiful a phrase and a word it is that Jesus uses. He says that you can abide in the vine, you can abide in me, you can abide in my love. Abide means to live. You might recall it related to the word abode, which is a home, which is a place that we live. And that home in which we live in with God is saturated with the holy and pure love of God in Jesus Christ. And we can live and dwell there and make our home in his love. That's an image, isn't it? It's not an idea. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Could you imagine within the love of God, the love that the Father has for the Son? Could you imagine the the joy and the purity and the blessing and, and just the pure holy goodness that Jesus loves us in that way? Live in my love, he says, abide in my love. In verse 11, he says, I have said these things to you. All of these things that are said about vines being connected and disconnected, fruitful vines and unfruitful vines, nourished vines and vines thrown away, all of these things, and especially about love, I have said to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Isn't that beautiful? that the joy of Jesus Christ could be in us. I've had a lot of joyful things happen in my life, but for that joy to be complete, what is that even like? But Jesus offers that to us through his love. Now, this is one of those passages that's just so deep. We could go in any direction, but just a few of these things that we learn from this passage are that God's love is available to us in Jesus Christ, and we can be as connected to it and nourished by it as a branch is to its vine. And through the faith, through faith and faithfulness, because of Christ's work and God's grace, we can experience the full joy of God's love that intimately and that connectedly. We learn that God's love nourishes and empowers and enriches our lives for our good and his glory and his purposes. We learn that we can make our home in God's love, abiding in Christ. And in that love is the true source of joy, everlasting joy, present joy, complete joy. It is good to know that Jesus loves you, and I hope you know it. 
It is good to know that Jesus loves you, but it is life-changing to experience that Jesus loves you. It is life-changing to experience. People need to know what that looks like. They need to know what that feels like, what it sounds like. And so I urge you, my friends, will you tell the stories of your experience of God's love so that people will know? Look, it's an act of translation to help God, for God to help us understand Him, He spoke human language by becoming human and walking among us. To take the idea of the love of God, when you share the stories of God's love that you've experienced, you're translating this great mystery of God into human language, into language that people can understand, into heart language. Will you tell the story? But don't just tell the story. Show them. Show them. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Tell them and show them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Tell them and show them. And by this you will know that they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Tell them and show them. It's an act of vital translation. We make a promise to the world, and if we can help them know the truth and experience the truth, the simple few words, Jesus loves you, then God can use your story and your activity to ignite faith in someone else. Have you experienced God's love? Do you have an experience like that? How have you shown it to other people? I've, I've experienced God's love in many ways. I told you uh, a, a handful of times about how when I was uh, 15 and three quarters years old, I sat in the back pew of a church I was never supposed to attend. It was accidental and then suddenly felt uh, the love of God flood me and awakened my spirit to Jesus. And that was really the moment in which I began my, or I started to agree to my salvation journey. You've heard some of that story, but it's not just awakening love that God pours out in us. He pours out love in so many ways, in so many big and small ways. I remember a time where I was just really supposed to feel at the height of all things, um, and I just had an overwhelming experience of God's love unexpectedly. I had been a, a Christian for a long time. I was getting ready to take my ordination exams, and I had been a I had spent far too much money and too many years getting too many degrees, and there I was finally ready. I was going to go pass my exams and become an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And despite having been a Christian for a while, being who I am, which is uh, relatively, well, overly self-sufficient, performance-oriented, with a penchant of uh, mistaking recognition for a substitute of, for love. That's just part of who I am. I lived much of my Christian life with some sort of wall between my heart and God's. A wall with holes for sure. Little peekaboo doors. Yeah. Gates that I could open as I felt comfortable, but it was a separation nonetheless. So that night I sat in a hotel room in Macon, Georgia, poring over a hundred plus pages of 
excellently crafted theological answers and what I think was the best sermon I could have possibly presented in transcript at the time, ready to go and just tell everybody all that I had learned about the Lord our God and how ready I was to enter the ministry. And I prayed that night, and God stopped me a little just in this moment. It was a little long moment of prayer. I just want to tell you about it. But it overwhelmed me with His love for me, and it was a corrective love but in the best way. It was as if he said, stop for just a second. I want to show you something. He's not talking to me. I'm telling you. This is the only way I could tell you. It was as if he took me on a tour of my life. I had memories that popped into my brain that I just didn't anticipate, and he impressed upon my heart that it was not me that was necessary, but his love for me that was necessary. That I was about to go do this thing that that, was, that had the opportunity to either feed my darkest places, which was earn recognition, or it could be the place where I gave myself fully to God as a place of submission and love. He said, I want you to know that my love is more important than anything that you have ever done and could ever do. And I know you feel like you have to do this by yourself, but let me show you something. He showed me he showed me just a, a memory of my dad who made me his own in the absence of my biological father. He showed me my mother who loved me ferociously. He showed me Dean Slusser, my high school teacher who guided me into faith. He showed me Kevin Patrick, my college professor at the good old Columbus State University who became a spiritual mentor at another pivotal time of my life. He showed me Betty Garrett who was then a, at that time a 70-year-old woman and just turned uh, 91, I believe, who took me in as a college intern from Whitney United Methodist Church and became uh, just another figure of, of spiritual motherhood to me. He showed me my wife, Amanda, who I had known my entire Christian life, who's an emblem of self-giving love, and it's God. Uh, these memories came out of nowhere. He said, see, you have never been alone. You've never had to do this by yourself. I have always loved you. I've always put someone by you to prove it. I use my people to love you. I need you to know right now that I love you because of who I am and not because of who you are. And it was a real tangible flood of divine love. I could feel it as a chill goes through my body. And I need to tell you, this is just the language of that moment that God used in this particular weird broken heart to speak to me about how he loves me. I don't know how he will tell you. But I know that he does and I know that he wants to. And I know that it's not, it's not hidden. It's not a maze. He just wants to pour it out upon you. Have you experienced the love of God? Because God is, God's love is, is not just something that we talk about. God is not just someone that we write about and talk about. His love is not just an idea or a logical assertion that makes us feel good. It is real. It is transformative. It is potent. It is present. And we experience it in life-changing ways. And, and we can experience it in, in ordinary ways and in big ways and in small ways and in the dramatic ways that we'll remember for the rest of our lives and in the small ways that give us life that we may not remember, but we breathe every day. And that's an act of life too. So we remember God's love sometimes like breath and his love can become our home. So tell people, you've got to translate. Tell people, 
the stories about how you've experienced God's love in your life, and then show them, love them like God loves them. Let God use you to translate His love from an idea to the experiential reality that it is. And do this so that they might believe in Christ, and that by believing they might have life in His name, and then in such a way that they might have His joy, and that their joy might be complete. Show and tell. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.